Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Chaloner. This podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating those people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. Now, if you are in a leadership role yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please do visit leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Now, joining me on today's programme on what is a warm summer morning here in the capital is Gordon Guthrie. Gordon is the Director of Sales and Marketing at the Business Advisory Centre, also known as BAC Utilities, which offers fully managed business, water, electricity and gas, telecoms and fibre and commercial insurance procurement services, as well as a full range of web and print solutions. Um, Gordon, thank you for joining us on the programme today. Welcome. It's good to hear from you. Thanks, Scott. It's a real pleasure having you on the programme with us today. Um, I think Thank a good you. place to um, start the discussion would be by addressing the elephant in the room here, and that's the fact that as we record this podcast in early July 2021, we are still living under some form of COVID-19 restrictions and have been now for the best part of 15 or 16 months, give or take. Um, looking back on the whole sort of pandemic period to date, how has COVID affected you and your operations, would you say? Yeah, um, well, it's been a, a, a challenging year for, for everyone across all sectors, and we've all been impacted and affected in um, different ways. We've been pretty much at the, the centre of COVID since it hit. Um, given that we are involved with um, businesses across all, all verticals, um, our job uh, at the Business Advisory Centre is to help businesses reduce their operating costs mm. and to secure funding, looking at um, various different methods and approaches to, to make their business more profitable whilst um, increasing the, the, the awareness of the brand. So, yeah, we, we felt it um, here at home, obviously within our own business, but we've seen the impact that it's had on our clients, specifically within the, the hospitality and retail sectors, which is a big part of um, our client base. Um, seen it happening almost immediately um, after lockdown was imposed and our business model slightly changed in that uh, as you know um, retail and hospitality were hit very very hard um, but they still had the same operating costs going forward so we were seeing businesses closing every day um, which from a, from from our point of view financially um, that had a, a, a very um, negative impact on our turnover. Uh, without getting into too much detail uh, around the, the commercials of, of our sector, um, we are paid based on um, volume of energy used within a within a business, for example. And uh, their reward, their commissions, their payments, their finder's fees um, are all or were historically paid in advance. Um, so, for example, if we took on a new restaurant and we forecast how much energy they're going to use over a three-year contract, for example, we'd buy that energy up front and we'd pay their uh, commercial commissions on the, the, the back of that forecasted consumption. Um, so, as you can imagine, if we had a business that we were forecasted to be using 200,000 um, units of electricity over a three-year period and we'd pay 80% of that up front, um, as you can imagine, um, if those businesses are closing down, 
that forecasting model is, is completely short. Um, and we're in a position where we've been paid up front for commissions that are no longer accurate. So there's something in our sector in our industry called a callback, uh, and that's where if we've been paid a commission up front and we don't realise the full value of that contract, um, the, the money's taken back off. So from, from our point of view, that that was something that would happen every once in a while um, under normal circumstances. Um, but when COVID hit, uh, we were having uh, retail businesses, hospitality sector businesses closing pretty much every day. Um, and as you can imagine, the, the, the adverse financial impact of that on our own business um, was, was a difficult one to take. But um, so, so going forward, we've looked at how we can absorb that and reduce the, the exposure to, to a similar event occurring um, going forward. So we've looked at uh, residual uh, commercial reward models um, and, and similar uh, commercials to, to absorb that and to minimise the, the impact that we, we did experience last year. Luckily enough, we are diverse enough that we, we did have other elements of the business that could absorb that and we continue to trade through. Um, and a big part of what we've been doing over the last 12 months is working with other businesses to help them reduce their operating costs. So there's lots of initiatives, lots of schemes um, that are available to businesses but aren't necessarily, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not introduced to the businesses in the world it should be. So one of those schemes um, with the uh, wholesale water market was the uh, wholesale deferral scheme mm. whereby businesses that had Stop trading temporarily could defer payment of the, the wholesale element of the water bill, um, which in the, the, the under lockdown um, would have been a big help. And there were thousands of businesses that weren't aware that scheme was available. Um, so that, that was one thing that we brought to our own clients' attention. We worked with them to navigate through the, the, the paperwork to, to have the scheme put in place. And we looked at um, Again, in, in, a, in a way that we would normally have done, but more suited to the, the, the lockdown conditions, we were looking at things like um, zero standing charge contracts for gas and electricity. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the energy companies aren't going to put their, their bills on hold. Yes, so what with the, the companies, but the, the bills are going to continue to occur. So we were looking at um, more flexible, more suitable tariffs that would help the businesses get through that very, very tough period, um, which, as we all know, went on a lot longer than we originally anticipated. So, yeah, it was, it was looking at being more creative with the solutions that we brought to the table and, and looking at how we could help them get through this difficult um, period of lockdown. Uh, and that was everything from reviewing the tariffs they're on, looking at what options are there to, to help reduce their operating costs over that period, um, but also helping some of the smaller businesses with um, funding claims um, and and looking at other avenues uh, where they they could um, or where we could make things financially more comfortable for them. As we progressed through lockdown and we, we came to what everyone is now calling the, the new norm, and the doors started to open back up again, um, there was other challenges. There was the, the challenge of um, uh, customer confidence. Do they want to really go back out and start shopping again and risk uh, becoming infected themselves and, and all this kind of thing? And at that point, we um, we acquired a, another business, which was a specialist cleaning business. Mm. Um, 
and we're now working in partnership with a Scandinavian company called Nordic Chem. Um, and this is part of what's called the COVID-19 Business Initiative. And rather than businesses using detergents and antibacterial solutions um, and, and having the, the additional overheads of having to bring in or, or cover the cost of additional hours, additional staffing hours for cleaning, um, this process, this um, installation of what's called an antimicrobial coating um, actually provides uh, um, cover and um, prevents the spread of COVID by it's, it's almost the installation of this product is, is almost like a barrier um, and it can be installed across an entire business premises whether that's um, uh, desks uh, APM machines um, tables, it can be used in anything. And once this is installed, it provides uh, what we call efficacy for up to 90 days against uh, COVID-19 and all the other coronaviruses. So we've, we've diversified in terms of how we were helping our, our clients um, and, and new clients, um, and not only helping to reduce the spread of the pandemic, um, but also giving them and their clients and any site visitors um, more confidence in visiting their premises. Um, there's a lot to talk about that. We've got lots of signage that they can put up through the property, um, through the business premises that gives anyone visiting the, the, the business site the confidence that they've taken proper due diligence to, to look after their uh, health and wellbeing. So it, it's been a strange one for us. We're doing things now that mm. two years ago we never thought we would have been involved in. Um, but for us, it's put us in a much better position now. Um, we really want to be the one-stop shop in terms of being able to help any of your small businesses, uh, clubs, charities. Um, we want to, to be able to help them in all aspects of their business, so not just um, the, the energy or the water or the commercial insurance. Uh, we want to be able to help them with, with all aspects of it. Um, and we're not actually... We're, 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 We've become very busy working with another partner um, in uh, the business interruption claims sector. Mm. Uh, so, as you probably know, um, initially when businesses were trying to claim on their interruption insurance, um, they were all rejected because COVID wasn't recognised um, as a as a as a cause for a, a successful business claim or a business interruption claim. So, January this year, there was a ruling in the, the Manchester Supreme Court. Um, where the courts have ruled in favour of the um, insurees. So what we found immediately after that was businesses were starting to go back in and resubmit claims for loss of um, loss of loss of income through the pandemic. Um, but the insurers were coming back with silly um, settlement figures. There was one client that lost in excess of £140,000 back in over £80,000 until <laughs> the final settlement. Um, we then took it through our new partners that we're working with, uh, my solicitor, um, and they were able to successfully claim back a hundred and three thousand pounds. So again, it's it's another it's another um, another avenue that, that we're looking to explore with our clients um, in terms of helping them to recover from the last uh, the last twelve eighteen months. It's, um, yeah, I think we've had to diversify. Mm. Uh, we've had to diversify quickly, um, but it's made us a stronger business. A lot of the businesses that we're working with 
are in a better position now. Um, and what we're trying to do is, you know, the, the, the terms you've is quite a lot. We're trying to help our clients as, as well as your own business to future-proof ourselves for the, the potential of another pandemic going forward. Um, it's been a, I was going to say it's been a learning experience, but that's probably the understatement of the, of the last 12 months. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, as I say, we've, we've, had to, we've had to learn, we've had to adapt, we've had to diversify, uh, and all of our clients have, have been on that journey with us. And it's, it's strengthened our bond and our relationship with our clients, and that's a big thing for us at the business advisory sector. Mm. Um, all of our relationships um, and all of, our, all of the, the, the business that we bring on, it's all about longevity. It's all about building um, ongoing um, relationships with our clients, getting to understand their challenges, um, understanding their business model. Um, and, and everything we do is, is based around that relationship. You know, the, 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 the phrase is used quite a lot, getting things right first time. We, we live by that. Um, and we understand and recognise that by getting things right first time and working with our clients to achieve the, the, the best outcome for them, they're going to come back to this time and again. So, yeah, it's, it's been a, um, a challenging year, um, especially, as I say, given the, the commercial model to our business. Um, that, that was the biggest challenge, but going forward, we'll be in a much better place. Um, we'll continue to work with the, the clients that we have and with the, the new clients that we bring on board. And, you know, we'll use this as a as a, an extreme learning experience um, and yeah things have changed things have changed things that will you know we'll, we'll never get back to the way that we were doing it historically um, but that's all for the better so looking at um, residual reward models when it comes to bringing in commissions um, and, uh, and that type of thing um, and again becoming leaner in the way that we go about our business so we've we've had to adapt um, we've reduced the size of, of our offices we've, we've half the size of our office space and we now have uh, probably about 80% of our team working from home using IP phone systems um, and again that's another learning and another change that we've taken to a number of our clients um, and again it's all coming back to that adapting evolving um, and, and learning to live uh, with, with COVID-19 and, and, and what's to come yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 it's been a, a long year. But I think, you know, we've, we've come out of the other side now. We're starting to see a lot of our businesses doing well. Um, and that's that's fantastic. But equally, we're starting to see lots of new businesses starting to crop up, mm. which is a, another very, very positive side. Um, and yeah, it's not going to get ahead of ourselves, but hopefully as, um, as we start to, to come out of this pandemic and come out of lockdown properly, uh, and, and get back to this new norm that we're all calling it. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully see lots of other um, entrepreneurs start their own businesses, uh, which is great for us because that's what we do, that's what we love doing, we love building businesses, get up, keep the cost as clean as possible, and help them to grow their brand. Um, and then, again, that's, that's a, a big part of, of what we do and what we do well here at the, the Business Advisory Centre. Absolutely right. And I can imagine as well, there's some real optimism of a surge in demand for some of your services, particularly on the energy side, just because 
you know, the build back better agenda for the economic recovery. It's very much sort of pushing forward a green economic recovery and statistics show as well that the majority of the British public is behind recovering sustainably. So there are going to be a lot of businesses looking at sort of their environmental footprint, looking at their energy costs, looking at their energy consumption, and they're going to need people like the, those at the business advisory centre, aren't they, to help them? Absolutely. That's, I mean, a lot of the time, and uh, pe- people start businesses, then the majority of the times they're starting a business off the back of a passion or a love that they have or something that they enjoy doing. And they don't necessarily want to be bogged down understanding the finer intricacies of uh, water management solutions or um, what the best energy deals are or, or, or what the best telephony system is for them. And that's what we come into play. And another side of our business, we have something called the Kickstarter Initiative, which is aimed at helping new businesses get their business off the ground and running as quickly and with as, as little hassle as is possible. Um, and it's a, it's a free service. It's, uh, we, we simply guide them through what they need to know, what they should be looking for, kind of pitfalls, um, uh, and, and, and things like... Um, We've got a, a pay monthly website package which is aimed at these businesses helping to kickstart their business quickly, easily, and affordably uh, without having to deal with umpteen different utility providers that they not fully understand um, the, the, the finer points of. So, yeah, I, I, see it, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but uh, I, I really hope we'll, we'll see a surge of new businesses which is all going to be great for the economy and we'll, we'll maybe have a yeah, exactly. Um, it's a variable, isn't it? But there's plenty of optimism ahead for sure. And we can be confident in the industry world that better days are ahead of us. And I think as well, uh, just before we do wrap up, Gordon, because I'm conscious that we are running short of time now, I would actually like the opportunity to have you back on the show with us in future once we understand what's going on with the recovery and how businesses are approaching you. Because it has been a real eye-opener speaking to you today with about some of your experiences with other firms. And I think it would certainly be good to revisit this and just see how businesses really cracking on in that period of recovery a bit later on down the line yeah that'd be a pleasure It'd be a pleasure for me as well Gordon I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show with us today it's been fantastic thanks ever so much again for your time and also please do continue to take care and stay safe with everything that's still going on because we're not quite there just yet but better days I think are coming okay, no, thanks again for inviting me on the show really appreciate it and take care all the best and that goes to all of our listeners tuning into the podcast today as well please do continue to look after yourselves and do be considerate of others because it makes such a difference in keeping people safe um it was a pleasure for me today to welcome gordon guthrie director of sales and marketing at the business advisory center onto the program um here at the leaders council of course we like to bring forward a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership and therefore our chairman and former education secretary lord blunkett will be joining us on the program next he'll be sharing his take on the events of the last 15 or 16 months as well as his hopes for the weeks ahead that is coming up next lord blunkett welcome thank you very much it's very good to be with you um well of course uh nothing is being said uh at the moment other than covid19 uh which uh we must touch on um what would your message be to small businesses who are trying to keep going 
Well, I think the last ones standing will be the ones that thrive when we get back to some sort of normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected mm-hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks. Those who uh, don't have um, defined premises can't benefit from the business rate waiver. Uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff and, of course, whether they can receive the the grant, 10,000 or 25,000, all all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world and being able Mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important. Do you feel that the long-term uh, effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak uh, will in some ways be positive uh, for British industry? Well, only in the sense that people are having to be creative, they're having to adjust and innovate Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to. But we'll probably have a burst of productivity, Mm -hmm. which will help with the recovery whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced, both between services and product productivity and, and the production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help which will still be needed. And we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system. We're we're having to do that to save the whole of our productive business and Mm -hmm. commerce. And I think that will have to be sustained for some time. Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak? I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local supply and linking up inside sectors much more effectively. And I hope that the Leaders' Council will be able to play a part in that in the sense that people who Mm. have something in common, a synergy in terms of what they're delivering, whether it's a service or whether it's manufacturing or whatever, uh, will be able to see that there's a a good outcome from knowing the sector better, linking with people, not just geographically locally, but those in this country who may not have been on the radar in terms of what they produced for the supply chain. And, of course, um, ensuring, because there's quite a lot of fraud going on as we speak with um, people getting into cyber attacks, that they'll also take account of going into the, the cyber security side 
effectively as well. The more we are online, the more people who are working from home, the more vulnerable those businesses and their supply chain become. And that's something to think about as well. How important is strong leadership at the moment? Well, I actually think that it's brought to the fore leadership in a whole range of areas from obviously government itself, and there's been ups and downs, but all the way through the public and private sector, people have, to use the jargon, stepped up. And they've shown local, regional, national level the kind of leadership that Britain historically was very good at. Regrettably, we've not seen seen the same on the international scene for Mm. all kinds of reasons, Uh, but maybe we will in future. So I think out of this will come experience of people who have seen an opportunity to do good as well as seen an opportunity to provide a good uh, service or goods, uh, including, for instance, shortages uh, for the health and social care uh, system, um, the food chain and the like, uh, but also, I think, in terms of seeing the, the synergy between the private and the voluntary sector and using people's uh, commitment to each other in a very positive way. I, I'm not sentimental about this. Things will revert. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think there's a, a kind of moment of moral judgment of people feeling that they've got a role to play outside the immediate survival that they're engaged in. And if we can hang on to a little bit of that social responsibility, that will be a very positive outcome. Absolutely. Now, what's your broad view of how the government is responding to this? Are you broadly supportive of their measures? Well, it may surprise people to hear that that I have been very supportive. Of course, there's been legitimate criticisms about the speed of response on protective equipment and on issues relating to testing. But my own view is very similar to the challenge that was made to the Prime Minister of Italy when people said, why didn't you close Italy down faster? And he said, a fortnight before we did it, I would have been considered to be a madman and nobody would have agreed to do it Mm. if I'd tried to move too quickly. And I I think that's something that we need to reflect on here in the UK. We, We may have seen the signals elsewhere Uh, across the world and taking them more seriously at the time. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, but as someone who's uh, had his life in uh, the opposite uh, political party to the the present government, I think that with some hiccups and mistakes, they've not done a bad job in what has been incredibly difficult circumstances. And you're absolutely right. In a, in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's, it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um, well, the, the UK and, um, and the US, and to some extent to the Scandinavian countries, have a very different interest, uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and consent mm. that's required Uh, Those countries that have experienced one way or another totalitarianism over the last century have a slightly different way of coming at this. Mm. I don't want to exaggerate it, but I think that that's why getting the balance right of getting people to go along with what you want them to do in their interests as well as the nation as a whole is a sensible proportional balance. And I think we now need to adjust to the coming out of the 
crisis gradually, uh, readjusting to recovery uh, in the same way. Now, something you've mentioned recently on this balance is uh, the police overreach and the enforcement of the COVID-19 structures that have been put in place. What have they done right and where have they gone too far? Well, I think that they were interpreting what was not necessarily as clear advice as it might have been for all kinds of reasons because people were feeling their way. I think what's come out of it has been uh, a demonstration by local police services in some parts of the country that they could get people to do what was needed without the heavy hand of drones overhead Mm. or people being told that they you know, shouldn't be walking in the street because this was all about self-isolation, not incarceration. It was about getting people not to pass the infection on to each other and therefore to provide distance rather than to make our lives a misery. Those police services that adopted that policing by consent and chipping people along did really well. Those who went over the top, I think, soon got a very substantial pushback. And one of the strengths of our democracy is that you could have that debate. People could say, I'm terribly sorry, we we think the police force in our area has gone over the top. And that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That's another strength of... um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool. Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react, uh, and Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice. Uh, The health secretary often chairs COBRA meetings uh, related to health. Uh, Does this tally with your experience as a secretary of state, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the initial stages? I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows. Those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust, and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to to demonstrate their capability. So I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential COBRA meetings. What I was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because Mm -hmm. my experience with Tony Blair for the eight years I was in cabinet was that Tony was a great delegator, but he would get a grip to begin with watch what the difficulties were, and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it. So looking back, I think Boris himself probably thinks, God, I wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy, I think we'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today. Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. 
Um, well, now, it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions, having received advice. Obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts, if I might use that term, who'd previously been denigrated. Mm-hmm. Scientists, medics, people with behavioral science uh, understanding. My only criticism was, were we getting wide enough advice? Were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centers in London? But that's because I've always been adverse to everything being London-centric. I think there's great expertise, wisdom, experience out in the sticks, and uh, we should use it. Uh, rightly so. Um, now, was part, pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary? Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counter-terrorism measures. Right. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond. But we did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and and real, on the back of that, it was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in Edinburgh where the university had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics. And of course, we we saw SARS and other things emerging. I, I think... It would, people have criticized the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You, you, can, you can sponsor reports. And this is true of business planning, of course, as well, and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like, recovery plans for business. What will happen if um, there's a cyber attack? What happens if there's an energy shutdown? These kind of things you you can look at, but you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS and what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the developed nations that we don't have a vaccine for, mm-hmm. that we can't immediately whisk up uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will make an enormous difference to the planning for the for the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened. But very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I've put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack uh, scenario, mm-hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a, uh, a world of just-in-time provision. One of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world, except for the very poor, has been the distribution of food. A lot of it on computerized, uh, technologically advanced systems, if that were to come down, we'd be in real trouble. So I think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well. So have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber warfare. Yes, and to do so 
on different levels. I think again, thinking of thinking global but acting local, we mm. need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without uh, creating even more anxiety. We can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think. Now, aside from the physical uh, threat of the virus, one of the things that people are vastly worried about is the effect on uh, the economy, not just national economy, but also the world economy. Um, now, it, it has been said by certain parties, um, and uh, I'd like to garner your uh, thoughts on this. Is there a danger of the effects of the lockdown being even worse than those of the virus? Were it be prolonged, I fear that that balance would tip the other way. It is about proportionality. It is about balance. It's the wisdom of Solomon, really, to to get the moment right when you start to move and then to move quickly. There's no doubt whatsoever that we are stocking up, not just on the economic and employment front, which will be devastating enough, but on the health and social well-being front, enormous challenges and they will need careful handling because there's a lot of people whose lives for a variety of reasons are at risk in the future on a scale that we've been dealing with over the the immediate handling of the pandemic concentrating really hard on those affected by COVID-19 those sadly who have died or been seriously incapacitated that will roll over into the economic, the social, the mental health and cultural well-being of the nation. And that will need all of us to pull together as well. Absolutely. Now, do you believe the government's doing enough for business? I think that the speed of reaction once the scale of the pandemic was clear was very good. I've praised Ricky Sunak for his action. Uh, Remember, a chancellor who had only just come into office was planning to deliver the budget in the middle of March and has had three, at least three equivalent budgets since. I think he's handled it very well. Understandably worried now about what we're doing to our economy. The level of borrowing is sustainable because of low interest rates, but it reaches a point, of course, where it tips over so that you can't then do the kind of structural investment requirements that the government were laying out before and in the March budget. And those will have their consequences as well as a planned payback over many years. I think we've learned something over the last few months. We, we needed to take immediate action. We don't want another round of austerity equivalent from 2010 through to 2019, I don't think the nation, on the back of what's happened and the challenges we have, could take that. And therefore, we need a different plan, economic plan, over a much longer period, just as we did from the Second World War all the way through to 2002, when the final American loans were paid off. Now, of course, uh, 
one thing that's on everyone's lips. Um, how much longer do you believe uh, that the lockdown can go on for? I believe that we need to be substantially back in action as an economy in June. This obviously is led in terms of places where people would meet in large numbers, having to uh, adjust to the fact that it will be longer for them. And sadly, that will involve business closures. It's why the Chancellor extended the furlough scheme to the end of June. Mm-hmm. But unless we, we get things moving in June, I think we'll run into the summer where all kinds of services and industries will have a chain reaction effect. And what happens with one will then have a major impact on another. And then you get the skittle effect where things get knocked down that you hadn't perceived were going to be affected. So I very much, if I were in government, and I always think of things in that context, what would I do if I were in government? I would be on the side from... The second week in May, on the side of the Hawks, in terms of saying we've got to start moving and we've got to do so with the collaboration and cooperation of the public who have got the message, who did behave, who responded magnificently. Let's try and get back, perhaps, you know, doing things differently for a time, but substantially getting back to business as usual. Unless we do that, then those areas that can't and wouldn't expect to be back in action immediately get pushed further into the middle of the year in the autumn, and then they become unsustainable. Now, of course, um, one of the other major developments we've had recently are the changes in the uh, the Labour Party. So if we could just uh, speak on the Labour Party for uh, a while. Um, this might sound like uh, an obvious question, but uh, how does uh, Secure uh, differ from Mr Corbyn? Well, I'm biased because I believe the Labour Party um, has come out of four and a half years of a black hole of a nightmare mm. uh, where it neither represented a, a, a credible opposition nor a, an electable government. And the combination was to let those who supported the Labour Party and needed some of its policies uh, let them down very badly. Sir Keir Starmer both is a highly intelligent a professional lawyer who, as Director of Public Prosecutions, led the service well, uh, had to take difficult decisions at a time of austerity, understands the world beyond Labour members, but has been able to do business with those who originally supported Jeremy Corbyn Mm -hmm. and was able to command support from them. His creation of a balanced shadow ministerial team has been very encouraging. Um, I I supported Lisa Nandy, who he's made shadow foreign secretary, because I thought she understood the north of England and uh, the the disaffected uh, former Labour voters. But I believe that Sakir has taken on board those who have something really sensible to offer. And I believe he will be both a a great leader of the opposition. More importantly, he will then present himself as a credible alternative prime minister. And all governments need an alternative government at their shoulder. 
Mm. Uh, it was true of us from 97, and it took the Conservatives some time to recover and to get to that position, but they did, and the Labour Party will, and that's crucial for our democracy. All of us need to understand and appreciate that a living, breathing, functioning democracy requires uh, a credible, confident, and uh, in many ways uh, supportable opposition as well as a government, but we clearly want to do well because none of us want, as we didn't with the COVID crisis, none of us want the government to fail. We want to see our economy recover. We want our social well-being to be taken into account. We want to overcome deep-seated inequality and poverty, and we want to do it with enterprise and entrepreneurship and business playing their role, and that is about leadership nationally, locally, in the private and the public sector, people with ideas, with confidence, with the ability to pull teams around them, above all, to have some idea of what it is they want to achieve and a very good idea as to how to achieve it. What's the one king, uh, key thing that Secure needs to do to restore Labour as an election-winning party? I think Sakir Starmer's major challenge is to convince sceptical voters that Labour has not only reverted to a party that they can support because they can see it acting, developing, presenting as a credible alternative government, Mm -hmm. but also that the lessons have been learned from the fiasco from 2015 onwards. In other words, there have to be very clear signals of substantial change, not just the right words, not just reassurance that we're not uh, going back to some of the crazier uh, policies, but actually that we've understood why the electorate rejected those policies so substantially in December 2019. If people get that message, they'll understand that the Labour Party has changed, as it did in the 1980s and early 90s, to become the electable government with the greatest majority in historic majority, even greater than 1945, which I was privileged to be able to take advantage of in 1997 when I joined the Cabinet. Now, I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but uh, indulge me. Um, do you think Secure has what it takes to be PM? Yes, I do. I think he has the background, he has the experience, he has the professionalism, he has the forensic uh, mindset, and he has the confidence to have put a team around him which will ensure that it will work. And those elements are true of all leaders. Ideas, the ability to build a team, to have confidence in that team, uh, and to be able to demonstrate leadership in practice, sometimes at the most difficult times. And, you know, the Leaders' Council, those sharing their thoughts with uh, uh, the kind of thing that we're doing now uh, with uh, a podcast, but also joining us in linking up in that network of people who can support and help each other and learn from mm-hmm. each other, that is what needs to be done in politics as it needs to be done in business. 
Thank well, you very much indeed, Matthew. Well, really thank you for coming on the, uh, the program. It's been a, an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much, and good luck to all those listening in what has been a nightmare scenario. Good luck for the future. Have courage, have confidence, and yes, listen to those who know more about business than I ever will. Thank you, Lord Blunkett. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Chaloner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.